Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hey, gang, we're going to start uh, experimenting with these Friday episodes from here on in. Historically, as you may know, on Fridays, we've dropped guided meditations, and we're going to still do that. But we're also going to try some different formats, including some shorter episodes with guests who might not be a fit for our traditional Monday and Wednesday shows. Today, we've got my new friend, Gina Rossero. She has an incredible story about what it's like to live with an all-encompassing secret. Gina was born and raised in the Philippines. There, uh, she became a star on that country's thriving transgender beauty pageant scene. After that, she moved to America to launch her modeling career. However, here uh, in this new and strange country, she was justifiably very worried about letting anybody in the fashion world know that she was transgender. So for many, many years, she lived with this secret, one that could have destroyed her livelihood at any moment. In 2014, she decided to come out publicly in a TED Talk that now has more than 4 million views. Today, she's a public speaker, a trans rights activist, and award-winning producer, writer, director. She's also an author. She's just out with a new memoir called Horse Barbie. You'll hear her explain what exactly that means. We'll also talk about the cost of living with such a huge secret, why she decided to come out, and we talk about the overlap between gender and spirituality. I first met Gina at the TED conference in Vancouver a few weeks ago. Shortly thereafter, I ran into her in L.A. at another conference. And that is where we recorded this interview in person. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher, and also Zen practitioner Robert Waldinger, never worry alone. Our temptation many times is to keep it bottled up, but the data really show that the people who do the best in life, who live the longest and are the happiest, have strong relationships with people with whom they can talk about whatever's going on in their lives. And for me, therapy is part of that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you might give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash happier. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. 
Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. The I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well-written, absolutely fascinating. And it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. I highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the, the first 15, 20% of it, but already I highly recommend it. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. Gina Rosero, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Dan Harris, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's so nice to actually do this in person because I'm, so, I'm most of our interviews are Zoom. So it's like, it's great to actually sit in a room with you. I feel so special now. How's that? <laughs> no, it's, it's um, we were at a conference together, you know, with the same group of people. And then here we are yes. in a different city yes. doing this. So yes. this is this is amazing. Tell me about the title of the book, Horse Barbie. What does that mean? The way I'd say it, Horse Barbie is a spirit. Uh, it's a spirit that, let me back up here. In the Philippines, when they started joining trans pageants at 15 years old, I became so popular and so big and reached the top of the pageant culture on top of my game at 15. On my third pageant, I won the biggest title and I stayed there, right? So obviously you're in this very competitive stage. My competitors you know, called me horse. I look like a horse because of my long neck, my protruding profile, and my dark skin. So they started calling me horse as a taunt. It's a tease. You know, obviously it hurt to be called that. And then one day, my my pageant manager, her name is Tiger Lily, she saw me on stage and she saw, like, the way I projected myself, the way I posed, the way I carried myself. It's so regal, Right. She said, like, she saw me on stage and she said, you know, you look like a horse Barbie. And since then, that sort of mythical energy, passion, and magic almost is something I carried with me. You know, like the whole evolution when I started joining pageants in the Philippines to moving to New York City, it's, it's a thing that, that's always with me. How would you sum up that spirit for people who might want to channel it for themselves? At least what I would remember when I moved to New York City in 2005, that when I needed it the most, because when I moved to New York in 2005 as a fashion model, I had to go stealth, meaning at the time in 2005, you cannot be an out and proud transgender fashion model. My model agent did not know I was trans. The fashion industry did not know I was trans. So I was living in this Difficulty, you know, having two realities at the same time, the paranoia and all that. So Horse Barbie is almost, I remember feeling like that spirit is right here next to my shoulder, you know, that I could talk to that spirit of Horse Barbie and that essence of 
what I did in the Philippines. And in some way, I needed to have that to survive, you know, because it was difficult. I mean, there are so many stories of trans women that came before me, the fashion models that came before me, like the moment they got outed through a whisper that they're trans, their careers disappeared. So Horse Barbie is something, in spite of like that difficulty of going through it and pursuing my dream, I needed to have that to remind myself of who I truly am because in many ways, I lost myself, Mm. you know? And there's always, as a fashion model at the time in 2005, you know, I I just remembered, again, I recognized the degree of privilege, you know, to be able to pass, to be seen as this model. But I was also in this industry that is all about the power of imagery, right? In fashion, advertising, media. I was so visible, covers of magazines, all that, Times Square billboard. But I was also consciously invisible at the same time. Mm. So Horace Barbie is the one thing that could, you know, visualize as a reminder of who I truly am. At this time when you were kind of gaining and losing an identity simultaneously, this spirit, as you called it, was what kind of kept you grounded. It was the life preserver in a raging ocean, it sounds to me. Perfectly put. It's an ember that had to kept, you know, alive in this, you know, any moment of being found out. I want to talk a little bit more about, you use the word paranoia and living with this fear of being found out. But let me just stick with Horse Barbie for a second, because I feel like there's something kind of universal there that many of us may not actually do this, but we probably should, is to, to even back it up even further, there's a kind of therapy called internal family systems, where you name all the different parts of yourself. You know, a lot of us have parts of ourselves that we are ashamed of or that we hate and that we cannot make peace with. Mm -hmm. And so we compartmentalize or we pretend it's not there. And then, of course, every once in a while, that part of our personality gets hold of the steering wheel and we do a bunch of shit that we later regret. And so it's important to, according to this IFS theory, to have a decent relationship with these various parts of yourself. Some parts of ourselves, though, are incredibly awesome and empowering and are like our own little version of the Buddhist and Hindu deities of compassion that we hear about. And so Horse Barbie sounds to me like your inner dignity, strength, certainty in your own goodness. And I think all of us could benefit from naming that part of ourselves, seeing it clearly and relying on it during difficult times. Does that make sense? I connect to everything that you said there, because I think as I wrote this book, it certainly... I remember Horse Barbie is that spirit for me. And I could talk to Horse Barbie next to my shoulder. And even even the whole book, you know, it's written, each chapter title is almost like its own identity that it carried with me. And sometimes I felt like on each chapter that I've gone through, you know, I had to inhabit those identity and new names because... I came from a very, very different culture, you know, growing up, born and raised in the Philippines. So to adjust, to evolve, to survive, well, at the same time, you know, that North Star of Horse Barbie, I needed to have all those. Just to say, I'm about to say some things that are not really directed at you, but directed more at the audience. If people are listening to this and they're skeptical, I just want to say a couple of things. One is 
there's a lot of research. In particular, we had a guest on this show a couple of years ago named Ethan Cross, who had a big impact on me. He's a psychological researcher at the University of Michigan, and he wrote a book called Chatter. And he talked all about how we generally talk to ourselves in extremely unkind ways. If I said to other people the type of shit I say to myself, I would get punched in the face on the regular. And science demonstrates mm -hmm. that we can rewire the way we talk to ourselves mm -hmm. by channeling our internal horse barbie or whatever you want to call it for yourself. So mm -hmm. that's just one thing to say. And the second thing to say is that for me, meditation, specifically loving kindness meditation, which as a skeptic, I was initially not that big a fan of, but it enhanced my capacity to see my own horse Barbie, my own uh, Look at you, version. Dan Harris and horse Barbie. <laughs> I like, you know what? It kind of rhymes, you know, whatever, how you want to say that. But Dan Harris, horse Barbie. Wow. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. the, we all have that. There, there's some... Wait, by the way, you are just blushing. You yes, are. <laughs> yes, I am blushing. Dan Harris, horse Barbie. Here you go. <laughs> I blushed last night. My wife said last night I blushed. We met somebody. I don't want to name drop. We met somebody famous who I was not expecting to meet. Okay. And there are very few famous people that would freak me out, and this person did. And Bianca said— Is it Hollywood person? It's a just Hollywood say, person. Okay, well, I and usually don't get blushed by Hollywood people. Okay, but yeah. So you and I are in L.A. right now. We were just having dinner last night with friends who are not famous. Yeah. And a famous person came into the house. Yeah. And I— blushed. And so wow. and she said, I haven't seen you blush in, you know, 15 years. And now I'm blushing again. All right. Uh, Horace Barbie so made you blush. Congratulations you to you. <laughs> I uh, love it. I think you're just pointing to something. I do want to dive more deeply into your specific story because it's so incredibly compelling. But here we are at the beginning of this conversation, I think talking about something that is really universal. And I want to be aware that some people listening might be like, oh, well, I'm not going to like talk to my own inner horse Barbie. Get over yourself because there's a lot of science that shows that doing this thing, which you, by the way, and this is incredibly impressive, you came to this on your own. Unlike me, who like I actually read a lot of people and saw the science and was able to learn how to channel my own best version of myself, you, in desperation, came to this incredible realization, which I think is all the more impressive. If there was an easier way, I'm sure I would have taken that, but like I had no, I had no choice. You know, I think when you're on that edge, you, you really can't see what's next and how I could continue. I was reminded of that. You know, I needed to really unpack all the journeys I've gone through. And this particularly happened when I turned 30 years old. Mm. That's when I decided, you know, after modeling for eight years and having to carry this secret and having that burden of having to always self-edit everything that I say, everything from you're this person I'm talking to, where do you fit? Are you in my inner circle? Are you in my outside B circle, C circle? Oh, what do they tell you about my life story? Oh, all of that. This horse Barbie was next to my shoulder mm. all the time have to be my guiding spirit from here on, you know, because it was, it was a lot of suffering. And actually, you mentioned a meditation. Do you do yoga? You know, I, not yet. <laughs> my parents were hippies and made me do yoga when I was little. And okay. as a result, I've always had a bit of a problem with it. Okay. All right. Um, let's, no, no. It's, you're interviewing me. <laughs> um, I'm pro-yoga yes. generally, no, I, I, but not for me. I have tried meditation. I have tried that sitting down. You know, I, I get it. I feel it. The closest I could just imagine that feeling of being in the zone, the quietness, the breath, single in and out, is through yoga. I remember when I 
I was about to turn 30 years old. And I knew as, as I'm entering this new decade in my life, questioning, okay, what has happened? The one single thing I could think of was, I can't continue keeping this and having this suffering in my life. How do I move forward? And I did suffer. I had a medical condition and my dermatologist was like, gave me all the medications, nothing was working. And the moment I decided to tap into that breath work, I started doing intense yoga, hot vinyasa, sometimes twice a day, every day. Mm. After months and months of taking medications, like all the steroid medication that you could think of, doing yoga in like two weeks, the condition that I was having disappeared, mm. you know? I detailed in the book what had happened there, but certainly yoga and meditation. And I remember one day I was doing really hot, intense yoga, like difficult position. And it's hot, it smells, you know, it's it's difficult position. I remember the moment of a difficult position that I was doing. I, all I could remember is that intimate in and out of my breath. And I think it's the most peaceful thing that I could remember that I found in the most, you know, circumstance that you shouldn't be feeling like peaceful, right? It's hot and mm-hmm. difficult. Mm-hmm. I remember coming home and just completely letting go. That 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 sense of peace that I found in that moment and in that space was, I could picture it right now, you know, how, how that felt. And it's um, something I carry with me. And yoga and so many, obviously yoga and meditation connected in, in all of its essence, something that I care with me. And in many, many ways after that, whether also family members or friends that have, are going through something difficult, I share that experience and uh, because I know how much it helped me. I believe that. And I'm not, uh, and I know you're not saying this, I'm not against modern medicine. I don't yeah. think either of us yeah. is. Yeah. But modern medicine has been good to me. So <laughs> in many ways, so <laughs> let's just say that. Um, so yeah, I'm happy. Nothing against. <laughs> I think we're on the same team there. And some of our conditions are based in psychological trauma and tumult. And sometimes to get to the root of that, you need something that might not be traditional modern medicine. Mm-hmm. So I think I could absolutely see how yoga might get under the hood in a deep, deep way and and bring a lot of health benefits. I saw truth there, you know, in whatever way one defines that. For, for me, in that moment in my life, that simple in and out of that breath work, whew, give me because I'm still thinking about it, um, it really propelled me to like that next thing. And it's still something I, I want to, you know, keep going back to. Speaking of going back, I do want to go back to this period of time where you were living with this paranoia that you've referenced a couple of times here, but I want to, if it's okay, really go there for a second. You open the book by telling the story of a John Legend music video, which was really sort of the, it seems like the peak moment of you feeling split into two parts and really living with a lot of fear. Would you mind telling that story and why that moment really kind of summed up your predicament? Sure. I just moved to New York City and my agency told me like I've been hired to, you know, star in John Legend's music video. He was an up and coming at the time. It's the song called Number One. And every supermodels that have been in music videos, like, you know, Naomi Campbell, Linda Evangelista, you know, like they've all started in big music videos. That's that's what I thought I was doing. You know, I was like, I'm going to be in music video. I'm going to reach the stars, right? This is my ticket to stardom and fame. And 
when I got on the set, you know, the director told me to pose a certain way and, you know, there's a choreography and all that. They positioned me at the back, you know, which is like I'm just sort of like behind this curtain, a reflection in the way I move. But because the way it was shot, they were doing close up. So I remember seeing that and thought that they might see something, whether it's my angle or the way I move, that kind of paranoia. It reached that moment of what did I get myself into, you know? It was a lot of fear. And this is a scene where I was I was in lingerie. I was in luxurious lingerie, feeling sexy, supposedly. But in my head, any moment here, somebody could say something. The stylist, you know, asked me to come with her. And then I thought like, okay, this is it, you know? And obviously I continued working. And that was the beginning of that, being visible, but also consciously being invisible at the same time. And... That was the most intense, you know, as to be welcomed in that expectation of this is going to be my dream, my ticket to fame, and then realize, oh, this is what I have to deal with all the time, every day. And, you know, sometimes now I look back, I think this is why I love spy genres. As I was writing this book, I realized, I think, why? It's because I felt like I was a spy in a clandestine operation all the time for eight years because I cannot let go of my cover. I have to play that role whenever I'm called to, for eight years, I was a spy, being a trans stealth fashion model. Many of us live with secrets. What are the costs to living with a secret for that long? I lost that sense of self. I was this very vibrant, young, trans pageant queen in the Philippines, flamboyance, Being on stage, the feeling of like I have that power. For me personally, when I had to be stealth as a fashion model, all those things, I have to temper all of that, right? And then the other side of that is that emotional turmoil of editing, of not having relationship. I cannot have any relationship. I'm 21 years old in New York City. Young model. Yes, you know. I played around, you know, I, you know, did my thing, but I couldn't have deep relationship because trans women's models that came before me, it's littered with stories of, because you're with someone and that person whispered to someone that they're trans, all it took was just that one whisper and then I'm, I'm done. That's how much at stake that I had to live with and to have that all the time, every day of your life, couldn't let go. You know, when I was 30 years old, I couldn't continue living that life anymore. Something has to give. I had one very close friend, another trans Filipina, that truly understand what I was going through. So it's good that I have that, you know. I have a couple of, like, really, even, like, the non-trans girlfriends that I had for so long, they also didn't know. Even those relationships, yes, it is a friendship, but there's just that aspect of who I am that I couldn't fully let go. Hmm. But I think they know who I am. So when I shared with them about who I am, you know, accepted me because they never saw me as any other way. But other than that, I couldn't maintain a relationship. I know I was young, I was partying and having fun, but certainly alcohol and all of that stuff was a big way to tamper all of that truth that I, I have to put it aside. Oh, self-medicating. Basically, with alcohol. I mean, I look back now, certainly, I was young, 20 years old, but I was definitely partying, too. And I think a lot of that 
is to forget about like this thing that I have to do, this thing that I have to deal with, this truth that I have to keep a secret. So you finally, as you said, something had to give, something had to break, and that came in a very public way on the stage at TED in 2014. We'll post a link to your TED Talk in the show notes so people can go watch it for themselves. But you get up in extremely public form and come out. I just watched the talk and I was wondering to myself, like, how terrified were you to come tell your story in this way? It was terrifying. But I think, let me also say that when I made that decision, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm finally ready to tell my story. And many things had happened that led to that. Detail in the book, there's so many scenes. It's that sense of ownership that I felt it's almost like this sense of purpose, but so much bigger than my fear, mm. you know, and nobody could stop me. And that there was a switch in that mindset. And once I made the decision, I reached out to a couple of friends and said, I'm ready to tell my story. I want to do it in the biggest way possible. I said, if I'm going to risk this, because this was 2013 when I made that decision, it's still a risk. And a friend who had spoken at TED said, I told Ted that you have this story. And next thing I knew, I was in conversation with them. And they were like, this is your first time saying this in public. Yes. And they were like, okay, we've never had this conversation before. Nobody has presented these stories by someone, a trans person. So let's do it. Yes, it was nerve wracking. Ted also gave me a wonderful speech coach named Gina Barnett, who also named Gina. It's also now my Jewish mother. Also really a dear, dear friend. And more than just a speech coach, she was my anchor in, in that moment. And, and all the things that she taught me about storytelling, I still carry with me. And in that moment, she was just like, once you open this box, you cannot seal that again. But once you've shared this truth, you've done your part. Whatever happens, happens. But the truth and the beauty of this experience, the spirit that you're about to give to people in that moment, that's enough, you know? You've done that, and that's a gift to the world. So that kind of calmed me down. But I remember the very first time I rehearsed on that TED stage, you know that stage, it's big, it's intimidating, it's a lot of people, all the powerful people in the world, but like just being on that, a big, big stage. But I remember doing that rehearsal and just horse Barbie was back, you know, that whole... Being on stage, the muscle memory was back. And I felt Tiger Lily was there next to me again, you know, telling me I could do it. And I would always remember her advice when I was doing pageants in the Philippines. She'd always tell me, like, whether you're competing in front of 20,000 Coliseum in the Philippines or 500 people in front of you or a national television, when you're speaking on question and answer or when you're on stage, how do you create intimacy? How do you harness that? You know, so I remember that. And then in the combination of what Gina Burnett told me is like, listen to your breath. Really take your time. And I do remember when I was giving that speech, I could hear my breath. And that calmed me down. And that created an intimacy. That's all I could remember. I know I said, obviously, I did, I did the talk. But those are, whether it's the horse barbie spirit next to me or the breath that Gina Burnett told me. It was all those. So, yeah, I did that. <laughs> you can really tell when you're watching the speech that you are taking your time. And any terror I was projecting onto you because you seem very confident in the moment. But I was just thinking, well, 
I was in her position, I would be terrified. And it's great to hear it from the inside from you. One other thing I wanted to talk about, and you and I were talking about this before we started the interview, and it's a theme in your talk, and it's also a theme in the book, is the overlap between gender and spirituality. Can you educate me a little bit about that? I'm born and raised in the Philippines. This is a country and culture that have a long history of gender fluidity. In pre-colonial times in the Philippines, Philippines is an archipelago with 7,000 islands with many different dialects. But certainly, before we were colonized by Spain, transgender people, let's just use that term for now, gender-fluid people, they were actually called, at the time, Babaylan. We have a, a mythical goddess named Lakapati, who's like a gender-fluid goddess of golden rice, harvest, and fertility. It's so embedded in our culture, understanding that gender is fluid. I believe trans people, gender non-conforming people are the most spiritual human beings in the world. Certainly, I see that now because we're also speaking about American Western context here that we live in society that we're brought up in this very rigid binary of rigid male, rigid female, and all the rigidity that comes with that trans and gender non-conforming people, we see through that. You know, we know the limits of that. And I like to believe that we offer that answer to freedom to people that with our lived experience, despite how much attacks or shame society would give us, despite all the problems, the attacks on our lives, wanting to be erased, we still choose to be who we are. There's no promise that it's going to be okay, it's going to be good, but it's this really powerful truth. And it we challenge that at the same time gives freedom to everybody, the pursuit of your truth in whatever definition that is, whether it's the pursuit of freedom to your religion, to how you were taught, class-based, all of that, pursue that. And we did that. And that's through gender, through that spirituality that propels us to move forward. So I hear two gifts there to the rest of the species from the transgender and gender nonconforming community. One would be just the sheer courage it takes to be yourself in a culture that doesn't accept you and how that can be a beacon for all of us, whether we are conforming or not. And the second is that you help us think outside of the box, out of the binary, and see that within all of us, I can inhabit stereotypically or traditionally feminine aspects of a human that I might not have seen the potential for. Horse Barbie, Dunn Harris. There you go. Exactly. I'm going to blush again. (laughs) First of all, it's also just, I mean, the fun aspect of that is to laugh in this. I mean, I hope one way or many ways, I like to think there's many ways trans people could show the world and everybody is that go through it and figure out what is that truth for you in the fun way, in the spiritual way, because it's that rigid understanding of gender only leads to suffering, Mm -hmm. not just for us, but for straight, cisgender, everybody that still believe that. And then the other side of that is that transgender nonconforming people offers the freedom to explore the spectrum. Yeah, just from my own lived experience, I know intimately what it's like to be cisgender, straight, male. And we are socialized not to access aspects of our personality, including sensitivity, just to name one, 
And that hurts us. You know, it doesn't just mean that we are creating harm in the world for other people. We're limiting our own capacity for happiness. If we can't access compassion, if we can't access kindness, sensitivity, if all of that is tamped down by a culture that pushes us in the direction of aggression and sex only, then we too are victimized Yeah, as we victimize others. We have this belief ethos in the Philippines, in Philippine culture called kapwa, this word called kapwa. What it is, is basically, it's this embedded communal aspect in our lives. Kapwa basically means inner self shared with others. Hmm. Growing up in the Philippines, I didn't exist as a single person. I'm always a reflection of the inter-community dynamic. When I moved to America, the whole individualist aspect of things was like so weird to me. You mean you do this by yourself? You are only singled out as this one person and you try to pretend that you didn't do it with all the other things that comes of the help of the community. One of the biggest culture shock for me because I existed in the culture in the Philippines where it's all about the intercommunity. You don't exist as a single person. Yes, I think that also is causing us a lot of harm just to to think that we have to do everything ourselves, that we're not connected to other people, and that drives us further into our screens, and we keep our heads up our own asses. And when we know that the, the number one source of happiness for human beings is relationships with other people. Before I let you go, is there something I should have asked you but failed to ask? Is there something you wanted to talk about that I need I, to be like? I think we covered. This, then the final question is, can you please remind us of the name of the book and any other content you've created that you want people to access. Can you just uh, shamelessly plug, <laughs> okay. please? I am. Let's do this. My book, Horse Barbie, my memoir, will come out May 30. It's available everywhere. You could now pre-order it. You could follow me on my Instagram. That's where I'm the most active. And on the link in my bio, you'll see all the other things that I've done, the directorial project that I've done with PBS that received Emmy nominations to all the speeches and all the other projects. I'm, it's all in my Instagram bio link, so follow me there. Awesome. I'll just say in closing that you know, what, one of the amazing parts of my job is that not only that I get to meet incredible people, but that I can help get their stories out into mm -hmm. the world. And I am very proud to help get your story out there. What you've done is awesome and wishing you nothing but success going forward. I'm still enjoying Dan Harris' horse Barbie. I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't say that. You said it. You know, it's this spiritual connection there, you know, that I, anyway, thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me. Thank you. You know, it's been there's been a lot of coincidence, and I don't know how you explain coincidence, but certainly I recognize that as a coincidence. Obviously, we met, we were both speakers at TED recently, and even like just here, I'm here in my hotel for this conference that we're both part of. I was there, I was at this hotel two weeks ago. When I checked in for this conference, I walked in, it's the same exact room <laughs> that I was getting ready at. And when those things happen, I lean into that. Yeah. I Whether it's a twinkle of horse Barbie saying, you got this. Something is here. So I hope there's more of that. Me too. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Thanks again to Gina Rosero. 
Thank you as well to you for listening. Please uh, hit me up on Twitter or through the 10percent.com website to share any feedback about this, this new format we're experimenting with. Finally, thanks to everybody who worked so hard on this show. 10% Happier is produced by Justine Davey, Tara Anderson, Gabrielle Zuckerman, and Lauren Smith. DJ Kashmir is our senior producer. Marissa Schneiderman is our senior editor. And Kimmy Regler is our executive producer. Scoring and mixing by Peter Bonaventure of Ultraviolet Audio. And we get our theme music from Nick Thorburn of Islands. We'll see you all on Monday for a brand new episode. We're going to talk to Rain Wilson, who played uh, Dwight Schrute on The Office. Hilarious character. I'm a huge fan, have been for a long time. I'm sure many of you are as well. He also, and many may not know this, has a really interesting sort of contemplative background and has just written a book calling for what he uh, refers to as a soul bloom. We'll see you on Monday for that. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do. Uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.